Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Gladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. Well, I'm excited to start this new series with you, Father Jeffrey, where we'll be looking at the Great Litany or the Litany of Peace. So this litany is found, I think, at the start of almost every single service that is presided at by a presbyter. Is that right? Yes, certainly all of the main Liturgy of the Hour services, Eucharistic Liturgy services, and sacraments would have the Great Synapte or Litany of Peace, Great Litany, at the beginning of them. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get into a lot of the other aspects of the Litany of Peace in future episodes, but for today we're really going to focus in on the biblical context of the Litany of Peace. And in preparation for today's recording, I sent you something that I did for a school project a while back, which I'm sure you've seen a while back and and different versions of this as well. But it is every single petition of the Litany of Peace with biblical citations. And one of the things that struck me in putting this together is that a lot of the biblical citations are not direct quotes of the Bible, but they are paraphrases or amalgamations of quotes from the Bible. And it strikes me as someone who wrote these litanies or how these litanies developed were put together by people who were swimming in the scriptures. Certainly. Uh, It used to be said of the Book of Common Prayer in the Anglican Church that it was simply scripture rearranged for worship. And uh, the same could definitely be said of the services of the Byzantine Rite that we have in in the Orthodox Church. I mean, the people who compose these would have been steeped in the language, vocabulary, themes, references, and so forth of all both Old and New Testament. And so you, yeah, you just have this kind of, you know, whole array of vocabulary and terminology and themes that they draw on and and rearrange in order that, uh, you know, we can pray in the spirit of the scriptures in in keeping with the narrative of both Old and New Testament. And uh, yeah, it's, it's good fun to do the kind of exercise, you know, that you've done here where you've essentially gone and, and found the kind of closest, um, you know, reference that, that, you know, that a particular verse or petition refers to, but, you know, you could have found another dozen for each petition quite easily. And, uh, and it, it really isn't just a, a direct citation in any case. It's just simply this being able to draw on all of the wealth and, and treasury that we have in the scriptures, which really should be the way we live our lives in a way, which may be something we talk about as we talk about this kind of opening litany and what it represents in the services and so forth. Yeah, so I think it would be a fun exercise if we went through every single litany of the Litany of Peace and actually read the litany, read the petition, I should say, and then read the Bible quote that is attached to it. And we can comment on it as, as we go. Sure. Although I'm, 
pretty sure we're going to get bogged down on the first one. <laughs> uh, but we, yeah, well, let, let's make that our goal. <laughs> sure. Is the first one, blessed is the kingdom? Is that no, what you're talking about? No, I mean, about? in peace, let us play, pray to the Lord. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's start, let's start a step before okay. that. So at, at, um, in services, in the, in the liturgy of the hours, so that, that is non-Eucharistic liturgies, as far as I understand, you do not begin the litany of peace with the declaration of the kingdom, right? So, so if you go to church on Sunday morning with the Eucharistic liturgy, the, the service actually begins with the, the presbyter exclaiming, blessed is the kingdom of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of ages. And then the people respond, amen. And then you begin the litany of peace. Um, is there any close connection with that declaration of the kingdom with the litany of peace? Or is that sort of a separate entity from the litany of peace? Uh, it's entirely uh, separate. Um, we know that the, you know, we've spoken before about the cathedral rite of the liturgy of the hours. So Vesper service would be among them. Um, and the blessed is the kingdom opening blessing was the blessing used at the cathedral rite. So it was mon the monastic practice to simply have blessed is our God um, open the service. So by the time, you know, 12th, 13th century, you have this final coming together of uh, monastic and cathedral practice and to a large extent, the usurping of cathedral practice by the monastic practice, the blessed is the kingdom opening blessing gets reserved only for uh, Eucharistic services and other sacraments like baptism and, and, and so forth, the wedding, uh, which of course have their origin in Eucharistic services themselves. But um, so I wouldn't read too, too much into it. I mean, as we know in Vespers, you know, that, that opening blessing is before the whole Psalm we've just been talking about for the, the last few weeks. Um, so, you know, I, I think we can more or less disconnect it from the litany, you know, as such. We're going to talk about the history of, of the litany of peace in the next episode. It's one of the, the last additions to uh, the service of the hours. So the litany of peace, the first petition of the litany of peace is when a deacon is present, the deacon says this, when there is no deacon present, then the presbyter says it, but it is in peace, let us pray to the Lord. And I've connected it. And, and like you mentioned before, some of these scriptural connections are me picking amongst various options, mm. right? Because in peace, I mean, you can imagine that coming up so many times in scripture, right? Whether it's Christ appearing in, um, after the resurrection amongst his um, disciples or, or various different instances. Um, so I, um, I went here to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, and I'll just quote it here. Be anxious for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Yeah, I like that um, as the reference for this one uh, in the way that it connects the peace of God, which I think we'll go on to elaborate here in a moment, but specifically with supplicatory prayer, with the idea that nothing that we need or nothing that we're concerned about, uh, nothing that we're anxious about, you know, uh, Paul here says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All of that is connected to the peace of God. Um, the way to have peace is to bring those kinds of concerns to God. 
And that will, in fact, that whole process guards our hearts and minds. You know, that, that is a kind of wall or barrier to, to all of the anxiety and uh, struggle and turmoil of life, the, the very act of coming before God, you know, with prayer. But of course, it somewhat asks the question here, what is the peace of God, right? Mm-hmm. And you say, you know, you could find a lot of verses uh, in the scripture to talk about this. I would actually argue the peace of God is the theme of the scriptures, right? Um, because the word we have in English here, peace, which of course comes from, from the Latin um, through French, uh, so pax or pe in, in, in French, um, it really doesn't indicate the breadth of what the original, both Hebrew, shalom, and Greek, irini, you know, indicate, right? I mean, those terms are so rich and so deep uh, in terms of what they represent that, you know, we, I think we need to stop here for a moment and say, so how is it that we, you know, are entering into this prayer in peace? What does that mean to be in shalom? And it's important to maybe even recall that, uh, you know, the, in the very earliest descriptions of Christian liturgy, you know, the service begins with the presider saying, peace, shalom, you know, irini. Um, and what does that represent? Well, I say it is the sum of what the scriptures, what salvation history, you know, what our Lord Jesus Christ came to accomplish is to bring peace. What is peace? Peace is this total uh, state of reconciliation and right relationships, you could say, between God and creation. Now, that's, this is fascinating because we've just had this beautiful psalm of creation that we've been talking about and about how the world is ordered rightly. Creation is in a good place because it's in the hands of God. It Ultimately, if it's doing what creation is supposed to be doing, it's in right relationship with God. Well, what does that look like? It's called shalom. It's called peace. That is everything. And where that has been ruptured or broken or undermined, God is at work to restore it. Principally and finally in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplishes through his life, ministry, passion, death, and resurrection, ultimately ascension, sending of the Holy Spirit, is the whole point of that is shalom, that we can be in shalom. So if you can think about all the dimensions that that implies for the community that comes together to be in that state, that right relationship with God, what does that mean? What does that imply for the people next to you and how you've come and how you've assembled and, and what state you are being, you know, spiritually, psychologically, even, you know, politically and socially in all of these dimensions. Shalom is this all-encompassing category of justice, of righteousness, of love, of reconciliation and right relationship. And uh, it's powerful. I mean, as I say, everything else in this litany flows out of that one word, right? Everything is going to be asked for connects back to what shalom is all about. So for us to be in shalom and to pray to God is, I mean, it's everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in the first the first petition here we have it's in peace. Let us pray to the Lord. And the second petition begins for the peace, right? Where, where in the first petition there's this sense of asking or um, bringing the community into this peace that is already there, 
right? And then the second petition is almost asking for that peace. Sure, because it's um, an ever-renewing thing. It's like we were saying in the psalm mm-hmm. too, right? I mean, yes, the world is created justly and rightly and ordered according to God's purposes, but we fall short. And so, what's God doing? He's constantly recreating, constantly reshaping and calling back. So, yeah, it's this paradox always, right? In Christian worship, we come together. The only reason we can come together is because we are reconciled. We are in peace. We are in one body uh, through the what our Lord Jesus Christ has done through our sacramental, uh, you know, joining ourselves to that work, saving work of Jesus Christ, that makes it possible for us to be in peace. But we have to continually renew that in ourselves. So the next thing we do, having said, we're in peace, we're in shalom, we're there. Now we pray for it to come again. And where does it come from? You know, it comes from above. It comes from outside of us. We can't generate this. We are not powerful, you know, it's not the right relationships that is formed from kind of human, you know, manipulation or maneuvering. It is only the gift of God that that will reconcile us one to another and and basically solve all of the problems that we face. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the second petition is for the peace from above and for the salvation of our souls let us pray to the Lord. And the scriptural passage that I chose to reference here is from Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Yeah, precisely. There's the paradox again, though, isn't it? I mean, if then you were raised with Christ, it's already happened. You are above. You By your baptism, by your joining the death and resurrection of Christ, you are already made a partaker of the things to come, the things above. But then he goes on to say, seek those things that are above. So you've, you're there, but you need to continually seek it. It's that, that paradox of already and the not yet that we experience as as Christians. And so, yeah, I mean, we it's this activity of prayer. And again, this is maybe something we need to pause over a little bit. You know, it's another one of these religious words now, right? We, we If you say pray, you immediately think of church and of liturgy and of this kind of thing. But it just means to ask, right? Um, we still find it in kind of uh, more formal uh, situations in English, like if you go, if you were to give a petition to Parliament, you know, you pray Parliament does something. So it's a request, it's an ask, it's a begging nearly. Actually, the, the Greek here, they thomen, means more like, you know, real begging for something. So there's a real activity to this. Prayer isn't just this kind of, you know, airy fairy religious term that oh you know that's the category of what we call talking in church no no it's it is a genuine action of you know it is a uh you know if it could be embodied physically you know you're falling on your knees and on your face right and often the where where that verb that we have the thomen where that's used in in the new testament you find people falling down in front of christ begging him for something and so that's the activity that's that's happening here so we're falling down but raising our minds our hearts on high to, in order to orient ourselves to the right thing to fall down and beg for. Mm-hmm. 
So the next petition, so the first two petitions begin in peace, for the peace, uh, and the next petition here begins as well for the peace, but there's another category that it's talking about. So the, the petition is for the peace of the whole world, for the welfare of the holy churches of God, and for the union of all. Let us pray to the Lord. And the scriptural passage that I chose here is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. And it's Paul talking about himself. So what comes upon me, Paul, daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Yeah, for sure. I mean, but but also the whole world, right? The whole cosmos, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and within that, uh, the churches and for all, for, for all to be brought in into union. And of course, these are extensions of that category of shalom that we already spoke about, this irene, this all-encompassing right way of being with one another. I mean, if shalom is anything, it's the union of all. It's this communion that exists right across creation. It's everything ordered in such a way that no one suffers, no one is hurt. Everyone has their minds and hearts set on high. Everyone, you know, is in Christ. That's what we're praying for. You know, for the peace of the whole world, we don't just mean, yeah, there's a war over there. We'd like that to stop, you know. Uh, it's not about the absence of, of a particular kind of, you know, struggle or whatever. It is this all-encompassing right relationship. So the whole world and then within it, the holy churches of God. Why? Because they are like the vanguard. They are the, 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 the first place in which this shalom is to be extended, right? The peace that comes from above, the shalom of God, is brought to the whole world, to the whole of creation. But where is it first? It's in these communities that are called after the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has, you know, has been at work reconciling God and the world. And in those places, in, in, when these places prosper, then that, that message of peace is being spread and extended to the whole world. The job of the holy churches of God is to be that vanguard of the shalom of God in order that all may be brought into this union and right relationship, you know, with God. So it's, it's beautiful the way it kind of cascades out from this kind of central concept of shalom and how it, you know, what the role of the church is within, you know, all of that. And as I say, it keeps connecting back to some of those themes we articulated in, in the first Psalm, opening Psalm of, of Vespers. The next petition. So we've had in peace for the peace for the peace, right? So we've had these three petitions which begin with you can peace. see why it's called the litany of peace you know <laughs> yes yeah yeah um the fourth lit uh, the fourth petition we change gears a little bit so here's the petition for this holy house and for those who enter with faith reverence and the fear of god let us pray to the lord and the scriptural passage i chose here is from james chapter 5 verse 16 Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Yeah, that's good. Um, I mean, the, the way that this litany unfolds uh, starts with, you could say, universals, right? And nearly to the point of being abstract, right? Oh, yes, peace of the whole world. It, it, it's something that is easy to wish for and easy to aspire to in your heart or mind, perhaps. 
until it actually has an impact on you, on me, uh, on the dispute that we might have had or on the frustration I might have with you or the way that you rub me the wrong way or whatever. And so it's really important in this litany to see the way as it continues to cascade down right to us, to us who are gathered here today. We started off at the beginning saying that in shalom, in peace, we are going to pray to God. And now it really hits the road. Yeah, those who have come here today with faith, reverence, and the fear of God, we too need to be living in that right relationship. And so there can be no room for all of the things that undermine that. And so we pray for one another. We care for one another. We know that not all is right, even in the, you know, the churches of God that St. Paul was so anxious to, to say, we need to, to pray and be concerned about. Even there, there can be this kind of creeping undermining of the peace of the shalom. And so, yeah, we need to look at one another and say, yes, in here, in this holy house, those who enter, we are going, we're also praying for one another, supporting and loving one another. The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public aspect of our overall project. For those interested, we actively post new episodes on our private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate, discuss, and disagree about open and sometimes controversial theological questions. To get access to these episodes and to join our online community, you can become a patron of the show. We can only continue this work through the generous financial support of our listeners. To become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom and select which tier of support you wish. Again, that's patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. And now back to the show. I have a question. Some translations have, instead of this holy house, it's this holy temple. And I think that there are some times where the word temple is used and the word house is used. And it might be worth clarifying some of that language. Yeah, in the Greek here, um, it is hyper to agio iku. So it's house. Um, there are times when we use the word for a temple. Uh, but this is not one of them. So it is, in the Greek, it is house. Uh, in any case, um, it, it's not really, you know, that material. It, we're talking about in this specific community, this gathering in this place within these four walls normally. Uh, and that's interesting. We're going to talk about the history of the litany and of, of the great litany. And it's, it is actually a litany that emerges once the prayer is definitely bounded by walls. So keep that one in, in mind and we'll return to that, that thought. But in any case, sometimes as we spoke of in our, um, podcast just for patrons about the importation of Old Testament language into Orthodox liturgy around the fourth, fifth century, words like temple and so forth got appropriated to speak of the kind of precincts of Christian worship and so forth. But, uh, you know, that it, it's neither here nor there really. So we're speaking about this local gathering in this place is the key part to, that we need to retain. The next petition is for the hierarchy of the church, and it goes like this. For, oh, sorry, I'm going to do it the way that uh, I do it at St. Maria of mm -hmm. Paris Mission. Um, we're an OCA church, but you would you would commemorate your 
the bishop that is the bishop of your particular church. So I'm I'm going to say the names of of my bishops. For our Metropolitan Tijon, for our Archbishop Irenae, for the Honorable Presbyterate, the Diaconate in Christ, for all the clergy and the people, let us pray to the Lord. And the scriptural passage I picked here is from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Yeah, uh, very apt uh, verse to accompany that petition. In another sense, this is this concretizing of you know what our prayer is all about. We brought it down to the local assembly, the people gathered in this place, and now we've given definition to that. Under whose authority is this group, this community assembling, under this? patriarch or metropolitan or archbishop or bishop, uh, you know, this comes to a you know, really important head in the divine liturgy where you know, we have a, a way of concretizing that in, in the antimines that are on the holy table. Those are still there you know, for a liturgy of the hour service, but they're not opened up. It has the bishop's signature on it. So nothing can really happen without the governance of and the, the guidance and the support and the blessing of those who rule over us as the writer to the Hebrews uh, talks about. So again, it, it, it makes clear the kind of definition of the community that is gathered in peace in order uh, to pray. And of course, we pray for all the clergy here and then all the people. Not that those categories are mutually exclusive. <laughs> the clergy are also people. I often remind people. Um, but uh, in any case, it's, it's, it's another way of expressing, you know, this is what we mean when we're talking about praying for the community, praying for one another. It's specific people, right? Uh, it's not quite as specific as uh, when we pray, you know, by name for a lot of people in what we call the fervent or extended um, ectenia, uh, which is later uh, in the service. But here, there is still definition to what our prayer is. We can't just pray in the abstract for, you know, you know peace and happiness all around. We have to address, you know, who it is that we're, we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And more to that point is the next petition as well. For, in our Canadian context, we would say the sovereign lady, Queen Elizabeth, for this land and for all those in seats of authority, let us pray to the Lord. And the scriptural passage here is from 1 Timothy second, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all people, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. Sure. And it's not to say there isn't tension over this one. But again, there is a sense in which all authority, even bad authority, you know, uh, is somehow ordained by God um, and, and has a purpose and a place. And, you know, we can live and grow and, and be instructed, you know, by it. So we pray for, for civil authorities here. Uh, we pray for our, our local land. We, we pray, you know, for those who exercise, uh, you know, authority mainly so that they will exercise that authority according to the will of God. I mean, there, there is a sense in which people who are 
in political authority of various kinds, are in a privileged place in order to bring about shalom. You know, they have levers of power and control that make it easier to do things like alleviate injustice and poverty and, and so forth more than, you know, maybe we do on an individual basis. So we pray that they govern according to the will of God and, and so forth. But it's also, you know, about how we live our life, regardless of, you know, the kind of authority that is, that is over us. And uh, that's what, you know, St. Paul in writing to Timothy is talking about that we pray in this way so that we ourselves are directed towards leaving a life of godliness, reverence, righteousness, shalom, and, and so forth. Um, but there is that tension, you know, because we don't, um, you know, we clearly have to follow one authority, which is God. You know, in, in when we call Jesus Christ Lord, it means every other Lord or lady is subordinate, must be subordinate. We never place political or other authorities in an idolatrous position, right? They, they can only be placed under the authority of the one true Lord and King, Jesus Christ. And so, you know, there's a lot going on in this petition. Uh, and it's a, it's a, a said kind of tension or balance that we need to, to retain at all times, not trusting in human authorities, not trusting in princes and sons of men, as it says in the Psalms, but rather in the authority of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, but who is potentially working through, you know, the sovereign powers of this world, hopefully. And the more we can pray for them, maybe the more that that can be possible. But. To do a quick recap of where we stand in the Litany of Peace, we began with the grand in peace, let us pray to the Lord. We moved to for the peace from above, and then we moved to for the peace of the whole world, the welfare of the holy churches of God. And then we move into quite a specific for this holy house, so the people here gathered. And then we remembered our church leaders, our metropolitan, our archbishop. And then we remember the civil authorities that rule in the land that we live in. And now we are kind of going more specific again with the next petition for this city, for every city and countryside, and for the faithful dwelling in them, let us pray to the Lord. And here I have chosen actually my first Old Testament mm. quote <coughs> from Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 7. Seek the peace of the land into which I carried you captive. Pray to the Lord for them, for in its peace you shall have peace. Yeah, that's powerful, actually. Um, Jeremiah, of course, addressing uh, a situation of exile, of, you know, where the, the land and the king and the temple had all been taken away. And, you know, what was left of Israel had been taken captivity into captivity in Babylon. And that did not seem like shalom. <laughs> you know, that did not seem like a place where God's righteousness and justice was being exercised. And yet from the from the prophet, you know, himself, seek the peace of the land into which I carried you captive. Pray to the Lord for, for them, for in its peace, you shall have peace. You know, to some extent, uh, we're tempted at all times to sort of think, well, you know, 
to hell with the world, right? You know, we just need to look after ourselves. We'll do something meaningful as Christians. Uh, we'll, you know, maybe gather over here, huddle, and just wait it out. And maybe we can experience a little bit of God's peace while we do that. But the thrust of the scriptures is that God's peace is for everyone. God's peace is for the whole world. God's reconciliation and justice is to be all in all. And so there's always this outward momentum. And, you know, when we pray for our local authorities or for our local, you know, city and countryside and so forth here in, in the Great Litany, we're not doing that, you know, in a kind of inwardly focused way. We're, we're saying that this shalom that flows from God should be going out into, into all the world. And in fact, God's shalom will only be known to us when it's known to to all in an ultimate sense, you know. It, so we we have to be. It's a it's a call to mission, is what this is at all times, and not just simply to kind of pull together, you know, exhort God, exhort one another, and 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 call upon God, you know, for certain favors. That's not what this is about. It's it really is a call to justice, reconciliation, and 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 allowing God's peace and grace to to kind of flow out in, into the whole world and. I mean, if, if this was true of Israel and Babylon, it's true of us today, you know, in 2020, in times of pandemic or times of, you know, civil strife or anxiety or, you know, the world is changing too quickly. Let's just, you know, withdraw. I mean, what Prophet Jeremiah says to the Israelites in Babylon, we should be hearing, you know, today, seek the peace of the land into which I carried you captive. Very powerful. Mm -hmm. The next petition moves on towards the weather, for seasonable weather, for the abundance of the fruits of the earth, and for peaceful times. Let us pray to the Lord. Here I have chosen a passage from the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament, chapter 14, verse 17. He did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. I picked this one in particular because it does appeal to God's generous heart in providing us what we need for for food and and everything like that. And what a reflection of the opening psalm again that we have here. I mean, we we emphasized how the the water that courses through creation is so life giving, you know, and God organizes those waters very carefully, and we benefit from that in terms of the food, uh, you know, in those kind of core sacramental staples of bread and wine and so forth that we draw from from the earth and you know for those of us who live in cities and who find you know food just comes from a grocery store and it's always there in plentiful supply and everything maybe we feel a little bit of a disconnect from the you know the real importance of a petition like this one but i you don't have to go far you don't have to do much gardening or farming to know just how desperately important the balance of the seasons and of the provision of water and so forth to go through a time of drought is to feel this petition, you know, a lot more acutely or to go through a time of pestilence, you know, of crops or, or maybe animals affected by, by something, you know, we are in a delicate, delicate balance. We still have confidence that opening Psalm indicated just how much God is in control and always creating. And so by asking for the very thing God wants to do, care for us, provide for us and everything, we are aligning ourselves 
you know, as we are throughout this, this litany with the will of God, you know, we're bringing ourselves into line with what God wants to do, you know, for us. But that means making ourselves much more dependent on who God is, on his grace, on his love, on his care for us than we feel on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, in, in that prayer that we're asked to pray, you know, at least daily, many times daily, the, the Lord's prayer, we pray for God you know, to provide us with daily bread, you know, and we're doing that at the same time as most of us probably have enough bread on hand in our fridges and freezers and cupboards for weeks, <laughs> not days or day, you know, so to some extent, this Litany is asking us to place ourselves in a rather different position, you know, that position of needing daily provision by God. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's really, you know, humbling, I think, for those of us who are citizens, you know, dwellers in cities, um, you know, in the 21st century. Let us learn, again, to be reconnected to nature, to the cycles, the seasons, the, the weather in a way that we're not really, you know, we're so sheltered from it all in a way that is quite unspiritual. This next petition actually has three different categories within it. The petition is this, for travelers by land, sea, and air, for the sick and the suffering, for captives and their salvation, let us pray to the Lord. And when I picked the scriptural passage referencing here, I really only focused on the the middle of those three Things So the first one being for travelers by land by sea and bear, the second one for the sick and the suffering, the third one for captives and their salvation. So for the second one there, the sick and the suffering, I picked James chapter 5 verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Yeah, I mean, this is where this kind of universal quality of, of the great litany you know, is reflected. I mean, these are broad categories uh, meant to kind of cover an awful lot of bases. Later on, when you know, in the services, when we have that, you know, uh, fervent or extended litany, we will want to kind of unpack that a little bit. We have special petitions for people who are traveling, special petitions for those who are sick. Not only that, we have special special petitions for those who are sick and approaching surgery or recovering from surgery or those who are expecting children. We have, you know, we break it into very much more specific uh, categories. Here, this is a catch-all, right? Anyone who is suffering, anyone who is in any kind of distress, anyone who is in any kind of need, um, essentially anyone who is short of shalom, you know, anyone who falls short of that and who among us isn't. Right. Um, and so this idea of, you know, that is what God is want, wanting to be at work doing through us, in us, in our prayers, in our, in our lives and so forth. Let us not forget that what the real goal is here, this peace, this shalom that, that passes all understanding that God has revealed and is at work in his creation to, to fulfill anything short of that. We can continue to work on. We can continue to pray for. We can continue to support one another, exhort one another, um, and and so forth. And you know, and as that the second part of that quote from James then is, you know, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, in other words, have is there any part of that peace that you are already experiencing? Will then be sure to give thanks, to sing psalms, to 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 attribute that to God, you know, and that those are the kind of two motions in our life. Finding new things that need to be resolved, reconciled, healed, forgiven, 
repented of, you know, alleviated and so forth. And then the other thing is to remember where God has already acted, is that move of thanksgiving and and so forth. And so that's a beautiful balance uh, that James articulates there in that verse. We're now approaching the final three petitions of the Litany of Peace. Uh, So I'll, I'll just jump right into it. That we may be delivered from all affliction, wrath, danger, and necessity. Let us pray to the Lord. And here I looked at a scriptural quote from in the Orthodox Study Bible, which is based on the Septuagint texts of the Old Testament. It would be First Kingdoms, chapter 26, verse 24. Um, that book would be First Samuel in, in many other Bibles. Uh, the quote is, let my life be exalted before the Lord and let him shelter and deliver me from every tribulation. Sure. That, that, again, it's this reflection of anything short of this world of harmony and peace and love that God envisage, envisages for us needs to be you know, moved away from and so forth. So affliction, wrath, danger, necessity, tribulation, however you want to call it. These are catch-all you know, categories. Uh, we are you know, creatures who ignore as much as we can these kinds of categories because we want to be independent. We want to be autonomous. We want to think we're in control and have this kind of exercise of uh, of independence. It's the, we're the product, really, of centuries of the kind of modern human being, you know, with rational capacity and ability to make decisions for ourselves. We think so much is, is under our control, you know, to be called back to understand that we are in necessity, in need, in, de- in a state of dependence on God, on one another, it's, it's sobering and humbling, you know, for us. And, and, you know, it takes sometimes global pandemics to remind us of our frailty. You know, we are so powerful. We can do such clever things with electronics and rockets and then everything, but we are dependent. We are in need, you know, that we may be delivered from all of that is to be called back to a kind of vulnerability and dependence that we try to forget most of the time. And to be in that place and turn to God is really what we need to be doing in the spiritual life, you know, and not trying to, you know, make God the kind of second choice when things go wrong. You know, well, that's okay, God, I've got it, you know, until we don't and we get desperate and we turn to God. That's how most people live their lives, right? You know, I'll take care of everything until I can't. We have to learn that we can't take care of anything on our own. Our very breath depends on the ongoing creative power of God and his the activity of his Holy Spirit. We talked about that in the opening psalm. Here's another reflection of that. We bring everything to God. We are in necessity. You know, whether it's politically, socially, those who are poor and oppressed, marginalized, or all of us who are you know, not the powerful human beings that we think we are. Mm-hmm. The, the second last petition we have here is quite short. It's help us, save us, have mercy on us, and keep us, O God, by your grace. And the scriptural passage I picked here is from Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 22. But if you, Jesus, can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. It's this call of asking Jesus to have compassion on us and to help us. 
Yeah, I mean, any one of those verbs is powerful and all-encompassing, but to pile them up on each other is, is, is quite beautiful. You know, help us, save us, have mercy on us, keep us. You know, again, it's this reflection of that's where we need to be in this state of utter dependence on God and therefore capable of being reconciled one to another. You know, it's, it's this armor that we put up which says, I don't need help. I don't need saving. I don't need mercy. I don't need keeping. I'm, I've got this, right? Until I don't. Uh, but that's what keeps us from being in a, in a state where we can be in shalom, right? It's only when we express how much we need help, saving, mercy, and keeping that we are able to, to kind of be molded into the people we're meant to be. We become the malleable clay that God can create from, right? And that's when we die and the spirit goes forth and we are created, that we said in, in Psalm 103. And so it's, it's a marvelous expression of our utter dependence on God to say that meaningfully. I mean, I'm not saying by pronouncing these words, it, it, it happens. You know, we pronounce this a hundred thousand times in our Orthodox liturgical life, but we have to just mean it once and that's all. You know, and, and that'll do it. You know, it's, as if we can mean these words genuinely, we hear them all the time, mean them genuinely, authentically, deep within our hearts, I think we'd be in a lot different place. Mm -hmm. the sec the, this last petition here is quite a climactic one, actually. And it's up until now, every petition is responded to by the people with the phrase, Lord have mercy right? This way of responding to that prayer, right? So the deacon or the presbyter says, let us pray to the Lord. The people respond, Lord have mercy. Let us pray to the Lord, Lord have mercy. This is the first petition where that actually changes, where the response changes. Um, so here is the full petition. Commemorating our most holy, most pure, most blessed and glorious lady, Theotokos and ever Virgin Mary with all the saints, let us commend ourselves and each other and all our life unto Christ our God. And I have chosen a passage from the Acts of the Apostles again, chapter 20, verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Yeah, beautiful. And if we could be doing this, you know, with regularity, commending ourselves and one another, and all our life to Christ our God. I mean, that's the entirety of, of, of what we need to be doing. If we're heading in the direction of this peace, this shalom, this all-encompassing reconciliation and justice and righteousness in the world where everything is reconciled, God is all in all. For that, we need to continually turn, continually repent, which is, you know, give up on the path we're on and turn towards Christ setting our eyes above and on him at all times. And so that's the movement in the, in, of this community that has gathered this in this place, this concrete community that's gathered in order to, to bring all of its concerns and anxieties and struggles, you know, to God. And this final kind of move is to gather up, take everyone in and bring them towards the one who is all in all Christ, um, our God. And, you know, we're going to talk in the next episode about the history of the Great Litany. And really, what we're doing here in words was done before in, in kind of footsteps. So 
save that thought uh, for next time. But this idea of mm. gathering and commending and directing towards, moving towards Christ is the thrust of this final petition in, in the Great Litany. And finally, we have just the exclamation at the end, right? This, uh, this exclamation. And it goes like this, For unto you are due all glory, honor, and worship, to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. And then the people respond with, Amen. And I could have picked so many different passages in the New Testament that follow this pattern. Um, I happened to choose 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, where Paul writes, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Beautiful. Yeah. Ultimately, when we are in peace, when we are in shalom, this is the relationship we have, right? That we are gathered into union in the glory, honor, and worship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this eternal union of divine love that we are invited, you know, to, to participate in. And, you know, it, it, in a way, sums up the thrust of this entire, you know, set of petitions, which is asking for everything that is not peaceful to be made peaceful, and everything that is not shalom to be made shalom. And in that place, you know, the worship and glory of God is manifest in its fullness. And, uh, and that's unto ages of ages. That is endless and infinite and never to be, you know, uh, never to reach the end of. And that's, you know, what we're actually asking for here and not just simply, a, you know, a shopping list of, you know, simple requests for the world somehow. It is, it is that powerful, that eschatological, you know, it's oriented towards this fulfillment in, in God and in Christ. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Enacting the Kingdom. For bonus episodes and content, or if you'd simply like to see this show continue, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. See you next time.